Today's reading is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, if you haven't met me before, my name is um, Philippa, and I have um, the privilege of talking to you today about um, the dead church. Thank you. Um, now, I decided that preaching on Revelation today wasn't enough of a challenge um, in itself, so I have created a new challenge for myself. I am going to build something of the world of culture, as Philippa knows it, into um, my talks on Revelation. So last time, you may remember, that I talked about the church of Ephesus and my love of Take That. Today, we're reaching even higher cultural notches. Today, um, the subject is Timmy Mallet. Yeah. Now, you may not know Timmy Mallet. He was a staple of um, children's TV in the 1980s. If you grew up in the 1980s, I think it's amazing that we turned out to be as normal as we are. But Tim Mallet had a show on um, TV called um, Mallet's Mallet, and it was a, a word association game. So um, two people would take it in turns to um, think of a, a word and um, without repetition or deviation or um, hesitation. So another word association game, you'd have to... Um, think of a, a word that you associated with the word that had come before. And if you didn't do it in time, you got bopped on the head with um, this big foam mallet that he had. Now, I had to look on the internet, and foam mallets are surprisingly hard to come by, and I wasn't sure whether it was actually appropriate to be bopping my congregation on the head. But why should Ketchup Club have all the fun? I thought we could have a go at this today. So, Burton, do you want to start us off? I'm going to give you a word. Yeah, no pressure? Okay. I won't pop you on the head if you don't think fast enough, though. Your word is... Do you understand what we're doing here? Yeah, um, I think so. Let's see. Okay. Your word is fish. Water. Bop. <laughs> okay, we'll try another one. Um, Michael, do you want to start us this time? Your word is... Jesus. Syria. Worship. Worship. Singing. Singing. Choir. 
We're doing better on this one. I like it. Let's go for another word. No bopping needed for Jesus. Um, I bet you never thought you'd hear that in church. Um, right, next word. Christian. Salvation. I like it. Anybody else? I'm putting people under pressure here. This is very unfair. Love of God. Love of God. You think faster than I do. I'm very impressed. Okay. We will leave it there for the moment. So our reading today is about the church in Sardis. And good things have happened there. But the people have gone to sleep. They have become complacent. They have maybe even become careless. They have begun to develop a reputation for not finishing what they have started and being all about image and appearance rather than the real substance of faith. All is not yet lost, but the church is definitely lacking in the things that build community, that enable mission. And unless they take action quickly, the church is at risk of just withering away and dying. The charges against the church in Sardis are twofold. Their work is seen as being incomplete. They might look busy, they might have a reputation to uphold, but really they're just bumbling along, wasting time, not really achieving anything at all. I guess, in modern terms, the comparison could be a church that has endless PCC meetings, but does nothing more than actions the day to the next PCC meeting. Secondly, it's been noted that some of the people in Sardis have not soiled their clothes and are able to wear pure white. It seems like a bit of a strange comment, doesn't it? Surely being clean can only be a good thing. But the accusation here is one of laziness. The people are clean because they've not done any work to get dirty. There's no soil under their fingernails, no cobwebs in their hair. Instead, they've just sat back and allowed things to happen around them. Now, six centuries earlier, way before the news of the gospel had reached them, the city of Sardis was under the rule of King Croesus. It was a time of wealth and power for the people of Sardis. King Croesus was renowned for the amount of wealth that he had, for his military power that was supposedly double um, that of the Persian army. So the people of Sardis lived and slept with a sense of security and safety, superiority maybe. But one night, the Persian army snuck in and they launched a surprise attack, circling the city with their camels, of all things, not mighty war horses, camels. The people were caught off guard, they were unprepared, and they soon realised that they had spread themselves and their resources far too thinly. Croesus's army scattered and left broken. It... Um, left the city abandoned to Persian rule, teaching the people an important lesson about what can happen when you're not prepared. 600 years on, and it seems as though the people of Sardis have come full circle. Once again, they're in need of caution to be prepared, to be ready, because when Christ comes again, it will be without warning. The time will be unknown, but they and we will be expected to be ready. I know that you've touched on the subject of Christ coming like a thief in the night a few times in the last few weeks, so I'm not going to say too much more about this. 
But this story, this lived experience of the people in Sardis um, really gives context to their understanding of the need to be ready, to be waiting for the unexpected. And this is a message that's important for us here today. It speaks into the call for all of us, every single one of us, to live every day as active people of faith, acting now, not putting things off until later. We are not to put ourselves in a position where we're caught unawares because we're intended. God wants us to live lives of purpose and meaning every single day on earth as in heaven. That means something. It's not enough for us just to call ourselves Christians to assume that our name is written in God's book. We should not live in a way that presumes that all is required of us is to worship as part of the Christian community, regardless of our behaviour. God wants us to wake up, to conquer the world with our actions. Author Brennan Manning is quoted as saying that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out of the door denying him by their lifestyle. This, he says, is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I'm not sure I completely agree with this, but it does remind us that if we sleep our way through life, we risk presenting a faith that appears dead to the people around us, when instead the way that we live, the way that we love as Christians, should be showing people that we have a living faith that means something, that changes the world that we live in. Last year, a group of Christian organisations, including Alpha, the Evangelical Alliance, and a few other groups, did a study on around 4,000 different people, Christians, non-Christians, asking questions about um, Christian life and people's perceptions of Christianity, doing a bit of word association play of their own. The participants were asked how they would describe Jesus. Leader, role model, peaceful, moral, spiritual, powerful, all came out. That's probably not anything that we would disagree with here today. Next, the participants were asked what they associated with Christians. Caring, enthusiastic, friendly, hopeful, all good qualities, things that make us feel good about ourselves. But, countered with some perception of Christians as being hypocritical, naive, narrow-minded. Ouch, that's a bit more painful, isn't it? A bit harder to digest. Finally, the questions moved on to how confident we feel talking about Jesus. 75% of respondents felt that we have a responsibility to speak to non-Christians about Jesus. 52% of people thought it would be better for somebody else to talk to non-Christians about Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? And yet, talking about our faith is obviously important because... For practicing Christians, having a conversation with another Christian was in the top three of their reasons for them becoming a Christian. The conversations we have, the way that we share our faith with the people around us, makes a difference. Even more interesting, one in three of the non-practicing Christians interviewed said that they wanted to know more about Jesus. One in three, such an opportunity for us to reach out and touch people there. And how many opportunities are we missing every day to talk about Jesus with the people around us 
opportunities that we're missing because we're scared or because we don't think we're the right person or because we're too busy. Kai Munk, is my Scandinavian pronunciation acceptable there? Um, this Danish playwright, Lutheran pastor, who um, opposed the German occupation of Denmark in the Second World War, he publicly criticised um, Jewish persecution. He defied a Nazi ban against him preaching, and for this he was murdered by the good Gestapo, Dying Martyr. But before his death, he wrote these words. What is our task today? Shall I answer faith, hope, love? It sounds beautiful, but I would say courage. No, even that is not challenging enough to be the whole truth. Our task today is recklessness. For what Christians lack is not psychology or literature. We lack holy rage, the recklessness that comes from the knowledge of God and humanity, a holy anger about the things that are wrong in the world, to rage against the ravaging of God's earth, to rage when children die of hunger while tables are sagging with food, to rage against complacency, to restlessly seek that recklessness that will challenge and seek to change human history until it conforms to the norms of God's kingdom. Remember, he finishes, the signs of the church have been the lion, the lamb, the dove and the fish, but never the chameleon. What we preach as Christians, what we pray as Christians, what we do as Christians must be consistent and coherent. We can't change our colours like a chameleon. If we talk the talk, we need to walk the walk as well. Yes, we are called to love, but not to a gushing, sentimental love. Our Christian faith is meant to be something of passion, love beyond all measure, fury against injustice, action, which fights the wrongs that we see in the world. Jesus calls us all to vibrant life, not to complacent death. If your name was the starting point of a word association game, what would people bring to mind? Would those words reflect all that good Christian living is and should be about? Would you recognise what was being said about you? I'll leave that with you to think about. But be sure that God knows what is in your heart. God sees how you live your life. It's not too late. We are alive, not dead. So wake up, receive, hold fast. What does being a Christian mean to you? How are you showing that you have a living faith? You who have ears, what is the Spirit saying to you?